Hey, David, how's it going, my friend? Let me just see if we can get your microphone turned on. Let's have a look. Yes, I'm muted. Hi. Oh, there we go. There we go. And are you in Japan, I believe? No, I'm in Tel Aviv. I wish I was. Oh, in Tel Japan. Aviv! <laughs> Someone <laughs> said you you're going to be coming from Japan. Okay, okay. Well, uh, thanks. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure. So, what got you delving into this dark subject of the Nazi billionaires? I was a reporter at Bloomberg News at the time, and I was covering. Was on an investigative team that covered non-stock exchange listed um family-owned companies and because i'm dutch and i was based in new york they asked me if i could could cover the german-speaking countries and i would always go to germany to to report on business families and family-owned companies and what i soon found was this, you know brazen whitewashing by companies like bmw and porsche but more importantly the families that control them uh you know have global charitable foundations, media prizes, museums, uh, corporate headquarters, academic chairs, you name it, in the name of their fathers, grandfathers, their family patriarchs, uh, celebrating them for their business successes, but leaving out their war crimes, their, you know, their uh, affiliations as, 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 as voluntary SS officers, um, you know, being trained in Dachau concentration camp, for example, and you know it was i wanted to shine a light on this on this on this whitewash and that's why i wrote the book so how did they get away with this you know like i even heard that certain bombing missions were told to avoid certain locations and certain industries that some of the wealthiest had investments in um how how you know what how was it all this structured then got, got, can you give us a complete history of it i mean how they got away with it was 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 political expediency you know after world war ii um you know with the start of the cold war in early 1947 the us made this you know who was leading in it in occupied west germany made the calculation well we need a a strong and democratic um west germany as a bulwark against the soviet union and 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 encroaching communism and occupied eastern germany and need, need to rebuild west germany as a viable economy but you know which is a, which is a policy decision i can understand what a fatal mistake was made was this accelerated handover by the americans and the brits of hundreds of thousands of suspected nazi war criminals and ardent nazi sympathizers back to west german authorities who had no incentive whatsoever to, to judge their fellow compatriots on crimes that they had committed themselves and sympathies that they had shared in. And in these so-called denazification trials, you know, which were show trials, um, not for their number of executions, but for the number of people that were, ended up going scot-free for their crimes. You know, crimes such as, and the families, the business families I write about, were still relevant in global business today, you know, they profited from mass arms production, um, the uh, mass exploitation of forced and slave labor during World War II, and the mass expropriation of, of, of Jewish-owned assets and, and assets in, in German-occupied Europe. So we've had many people come on the channel and talk about how 
lots of the scientists and other people were incorporated into the intelligence agencies, CIA or Russia or the UK. Um, what do you know about that and the Vatican's role in it? Have you heard of you know, this thing, the rat line? I have. I read the, uh, I read the rat line book, the Philip Sands book. I mean, it was fascinating. I mean, East West Street is, is uh, the, the prior to that was also a fantastic read. I mean, the red line is just shocking in a way that the, 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 the Catholic Church role in facilitating the, you know, the escape of, of high ranking SS officers um, to South America and, and, you know, or even hiding them in plain sight in Italy, you know, in Rome, which is what the red line is about. Um, you know, it was, it's, it's, um, yeah, I mean, stunning really, uh, as well as with, you know, the incorporation by the United States government through operation paperclip of, of, of tens and I've not hundreds of, uh, high-ranking um, German scientists who were, you know, handy for the arms race, you know. I mean, there's many schools in the U.S. named after Werner von Braun. Yes, I wrote a chapter in one of my books about Klaus Barbie. Oh, right, yeah, how, of course. The Butcher yeah, of Lyon. Yeah, and how he started, you know, offering his services to governments in South America torturing people and getting involved in the cocaine business as well. Have you heard of, about that? No, I, I, I haven't. I haven't. I mean, that's quite, um, you know, I, I can totally see, you know, when it's when it's immoral, you know, I can totally see high ranking SS officers going from torturing people in or, uh, you know, murdering people in extermination camps to to setting up uh, global cocaine lines, you know, with trade lines from South America to Europe doesn't surprise me how did the nazis ally with the vatican in the first place i have no idea about that but i think you know it was a lot i mean you know jewish persecution i think in the in in, in the catholic church has been around for centuries so i think it was an easy decision on the part of the catholic church to side with the um, for you know with the vatican i would say not for the Catholic Church in its entirety, but for the Vatican to to side with um, with the Nazi regime. So, how long did it take you to write this book? So, I moved from New York to Berlin in October 2017, and I spent four and a half years researching and, and writing uh, Nazi billionaires from Berlin. I mean, the archives were all across Europe and, and North America, and uh, you know, it, it's it's. Uh, a lot of the archives are in Germany themselves, you know, of the families that control BMW and, and Porsche and, and Dr. Oetker. And, um, you know, we used to control Ali, co-found Allianz and Munich Re. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, all in all, it, it took me a decade to piece everything together. How many Nazi billionaires did you identify? So the families, the main families I identify, you know, it's the controlling shareholders of BMW Group today, the controlling shareholders of Porsche and Volkswagen and Audi. The BMW Group also includes Mini and Rolls-Royce. Um, the controlling shareholders of Dr. Utker, um, you know, the baking, the, the baking and the frozen pizza um, brand, uh, as well as the former shareholders of, of the former controlling shareholders of Daimler-Benz, uh, Mercedes um and the co-founding family of Allianz and Munich Re. So there's five main families I write about in the book. 
um, who, you know, who um, are still relevant in global business uh, today. Not only in, in Germany, not only are, are they Germany's and, and Europe's uh, wealthiest business families and some of the biggest uh, po political donors, but, you know, really on a global level, because, you know, I really wanted to shine a light on those that still have global influence. So when you're writing about such powerful families, then does that present some kind of risk to your life? No, not really. I mean, these families, what they want is that their strategy is to ignore it, right? Because if you ignore it, if you're going to send like a, a lawyer letter to a foreign journalist, that's like the stupidest thing you can do because it just draws attention to, um, yeah, to uh, to things you want to forget. I mean, they want to whitewash history, um, you know, not 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 shine a light on it. Um, sending legal threats is 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 a sure way uh, to get uh, more headlines and more unwanted coverage. So, what were the most heinous crimes you uncovered? I mean, I would say what shocked me the most was just generally kind of the unquestioning collaboration that. You know, these families were busy. You know, they were for by and large, they were opportunists, right? They weren't, they weren't, I, they weren't Nazi ideologues. They thrived in any political system. I would argue they would have even come on out on top in a communist system. You know, but but they, it was their unquestionable. Their own, you know, they 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 wanted to profit. That was the bottom line. They wanted to expand their business empires. They wanted to uh, expand their fortunes, and whether that was through mass weapons production, the mass exploitation of forced and slave labor and concentration camp captives, or the mass expropriation of Jewish-owned businesses and businesses in German-occupied Europe. They did so unquestioningly. And what's most shocking, I find, is also that their heirs today, you know, they kind of unquestioningly, you know, celebrate their Nazi war criminal fathers and grandfathers just for their business successes, just because they made them rich without any regard for their war crimes or, you know, Nazi affiliations. Did Hugo Boss factor into this? They did not. There is no family behind Hugo Boss. Everybody always asks me about Hugo Boss, which I find interesting because there's so many families, or there's so many families that produced, so many business families that produced, you know, uniforms for the SS and the SA and the Nazi party. But for somehow, because... Hugo Boss, which is a consumer-facing company, but hasn't been owned by a family for decades. You know, it always comes top of mind to everybody, but it's not. You know, they're not. Um, they're not really relevant in this in 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 this question. Just taking a comment from one of the viewers here. Then, thanks, BBE. Bush's grandfather, Prescott Bush, used Jewish slave labor in his steel factory in Germany before and during World War II. Do you know anything about that? No, it's the first time I heard about that. But Sounds like a bit of a conspiracy theory to me. All right. So these companies then, they're massive international brands. And I imagine they would have access to the international capital and finance markets. And then the war kicks off. So for them to continue in business, did they maintain these international relationships? Or, you know, were they immediately stonewalled because that would have been classified as trading with the enemy? Yeah, that's a very good question. Actually, it's 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 they you know the whole kind of economic 
idea of the Nazi regime was for the Germany to become an autarky because they com complete, completely self-reliant, because they knew as soon as the war kicked off that they would be completely cut off from the international capital markets and, and from, uh, you know, from the financial markets uh, outside of Germany. And, you know, these, because of rearmament, you know, which, which Hitler initiated in, in early 1934, so many billions of Reichsmarks had flown into the coffers of the industrialists and financiers, the German industrialists and financiers that I write about, was that by the time that the war starts, you know, they don't really need to, they can rely on German capital markets, on Commerzbank, on Deutsche Bank, um, on Dresdner Bank, to issue bonds. And, 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 you know, the stock market was roaring in Germany during the war. I mean, up until the war turns against Germany in early 1943. I mean, huge profits were booked. So uh, they they became, I mean, financially, they, they, they didn't need any kind of outside traders. I mean, the economy, again, between early 1934 and early 1943, you know, it was, it was this decade of, of, of a boom, in, of an economic boom in Germany, thanks to the, you know, government expenditures through hundreds of billions of Reichsmarks, um, initially for rearmament, later for expropriation, and then for the largest coerced and, and, and slave labor program the world has ever seen today. So we often hear the theory that it was the financial interests that put Hitler in place. Does that therefore mean that these families, you know, were the ones who paved the way for him to, to get the reins of power and then to turn around and give them all this business? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I, you know, these these men they were conservative establishment. You know, they supported kind of uh, conservative establishment uh, political candidates. You know, they first thought about Hitler and and the Nazi Party as these kind of clownish, boorish uh, figures from the impoverished German German hinterlands. It was only after he seized power on January thirtieth, nineteen thirty three. Um, it'll be 90 years ago in, in two weeks' time, that, you know, they fell in line and, you know, as opportunists do, they saw a moment to profit. They, they saw, they, you know, he and, and, you know, Hitler initially delivered on a promise he made. He said, you know, we're going to, uh, in defiance of the Treaty of Versailles, we're going to rearm German, uh, Germany. And, 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 you know, that implicit promise, especially coming on the heels of the Great Depression, you know, uh, or that explicit promise, you know, they, the men, they, they did that. So it wasn't so much this kind of explicit support of Hitler, but after he seized power, they were like, well, we can work with this guy. So we've got another question from one of the viewers. Um, AFR wants to know who's the most powerful of these billionaire Nazi families today. You know, I would argue it's the Quant family that controls BMW, one branch um, is related to Magda Goebbels, which in itself is a story, but it, the most powerful branch are the two siblings, Stefan Quant and Susanna Klatten, who, are, who control 47% of the BMW group, which includes BMW, Mini and Rolls-Royce. They're Germany's wealthiest family, and they're also the biggest donor to the CDU, the Christian Conservative uh, Party, um, to which uh, or to which uh, Angela Merkel belongs. And um, 
you know, I would argue economically, politically, financially, they're the most powerful. I think a close second is the Porsche Pierre family, which controls uh, Porsche, uh, Audi, Volkswagen, uh, Seat, Skodi, Lamborghini, Bentley. They just listed um, late September last year uh, Porsche for 70 billion on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. And, you know, they, the Volkswagen Group is, is the largest car manufacturer um, in the world. So I would argue that, you know, they are also economically the most powerful of the five families around about. What's the Goebbels story? So the Goebbels story is bizarre. So the, the, the Gunter Quant, Gunter Quant, the patriarch of the Quant family, his first wife dies during the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. And then he meets a 17 year old girl called Magda, born Magda Ritschel. At that moment, she's called Magda Friedlander. Uh, and he falls head over heels in love with her. He's 37. He's a widower of, 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 with two young sons. And, um, you know, he's 20 years his senior. But after the third date, he asks for a hand. They get married and it's a complete mismatch. Um, one son is produced from that marriage, Harold Quant. Um, in 1929, they divorce. And Magda Quant in 1931 becomes you know, infam infamous as, as, as Magda Goebbels, because after her divorce, she receives this, you know, very generous alimony from Günther Quant, who's one of Germany's leading industrialists. And, um, you know, she becomes involved with the better circles of the, of the kind of the aristocratic circles of the Nazi movement, and she falls head over heels with Josef Go Goebbels and uh, kidnaps the son she has with, with Günther Quant, Harald Quant, who, who grows up in the Goebbels household. Of course, Magda and Josef Goebbels uh, have six children of their own, who they later end up, who Magda later end, ends up murdering in the Führer bunker on April 3rd, oh, May 1st, 1945. Harald Kond is the only son who survives the war. He's in the British prison of, prison of war camp in Benghazi. And he and his brother, Herbert Kond, who later uh, saves BMW from bankruptcy, uh, you know, they inherit the, the quant industrial empire and are, you know, make up the two branches of the quant dynasty today. A few of the viewers are asking about the role of the European royal families in all of this. It's interesting, actually. I don't know so much about the, 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 the European royal family. I mean, I'm Dutch myself. Uh, famously, there's still a lot of mysteries around the Dutch royal family who fled to London, but of course, our queen, uh, Juliana, or our, our, our princess at the time, her husband, Prince Bernard, was um, was German. And, you know, there's a lot of stories going around about him. But actually, the most interesting story at the moment regards the abdicated German imperial family, the Hohenzollerns, who are today litigating to get their assets back uh, in Germany. And one of the main questions that the that the um, that the lawsuit that they filed goes against is against is about how to what extent have did they collaborate with the Nazi regime if they support the Nazi regime? Actually, is a really good academic in um, in Edinburgh, Stefan Malinowski, who wrote um, you know who wrote a book, uh, Noblemen and Nazis, and the Hohenzollerns and 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 the Nazi regime. And he very much argues that uh, the Hohenzollerns, you know, uh, really tried to get their own power back by supporting Hitler and the Nazi regime. 
All right, viewers, we've got about 10 minutes left on this live. If you want to post any questions you got for David, get them in there now. And the first one has come in from Tranta Lee. I believe Coca-Cola helped the Nazis by inventing Fanta and also Standard Oil helped by providing them with fuel for airplanes to American companies. Is there any truth to this? That's the first I've heard about it. I mean, the two American companies that come to mind who, you know, were known to have been really involved with the Holocaust and involved with the with 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 the Nazi regime was first of all IBM, um, which you know tabulated um, the possessions of Jews that 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 were you know murdered in extermination camps, and and also in addition and additionally you know tabulated not only their kind of those that were murdered but also all of their possessions, and. Um, you know, so they played their machines played a very important role. And there's a really good book written about it called IBM and the Holocaust, which explains it all. And IBM actually doesn't mention anything of this on their on their corporate website, on their history website, which I also consider to be a whitewash. And secondly, General Motors at the time had one of their largest subsidiaries in Germany, which was Opel, car manufacturer. And you know, they also helped um yeah, they also helped, um, you know, build build weapons for the Nazi regime through their through their German subsidiary, uh, as well as employ, you know, forced enslaved laborers in their German factories. Did you hear anything about the Western bombers being navigated away from bombing the GM plants in Germany? I never, I, I never heard that actually. I, I, I did. Hear that with regards to kind of more of the historical cities, or that they, you know, happened to miss Vienna by, you know, because it was misty, but 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 never with regards to kind of the the business interests. So Graham Stringer on Facebook has asked, "Would you would you view Germany today as of the vision of the Third Reich?" No, not at all. I view Germany, the reunited Germany, the Federal Republic of Germany, as and as a democratic as a as a tolerant uh state a very impressive in 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 uh, you know how shortly in within three decades of the of the reunification of germany um how it's reinvented itself as a you know a a, a global powerhouse the third largest economy in the world um um you know, a, a kind of a moral, which has given, you know, I would say the more world, especially under Angela Merkel, a lot of moral leadership in the absence of those of, of other world leaders. Um, but what you see in many societies, you know, and, and, and Germany's no, no exception, is that the most powerful actors or the most powerful business actors, uh, and in this case also big political donors, you know, they pay lip service to the remembrance culture. Uh, they pay lip service to to uh, the remember, remembrance culture of Germany. And, um, you know, they say they engage with it. They say they've reckoned with the history. But in fact, they, they engage in a very subtle, insidious cover-up of history, which, you know, which, which really, which, which hides the facts in plain sight. Terence wants to know your thoughts on World War One being started by the Queen's relatives. I mean, I think the aristocrats at the time, I mean, they were all pretty incestuous, so everybody was a cousin. 
I believe, of the of the great powers that started World War One. Um, uh, yeah, they were all related. So um, um, I'm not sure which Queenie is referring to, but but um, um, yeah, they, they, they were all referring to the British British royal family. Yeah. yeah. Um, Imogen Lee wants to know whether you've come across the theory that Hitler escaped to Argentina. I have not come across that <laughs> that theory. Um, you know, as we all know, not only Argentina but but Paraguay and and Brazil house many uh, Nazi war criminals, uh, particularly SS high ranking SS officers that. Um, you know, that escaped uh, to South America. Um, but um, as, as, as this is the first time I've ever heard that, that, that Adolf Hitler would have, would have made it to Argentina, which uh, I uh, don't believe he did. Question from McCall67. In your opinion, David, will the balance of power ever swing towards the common people? I mean, as you see now in the world, and I think it's exacerbated you know, so much in the past decade. I mean, I remember starting as a reporter in New York, um, you know, in during the months when Occupy Wall Street uh, began. Uh, and, and, and and I started uh, a couple of days after, uh, you know, the Occupy Wall Street encampment in Zuccotti Park was, was, you know, kind of violently removed overnight. And, you know, I really thought it was the age of Piketty, and I really thought, you know, the, um, there's really going to be the, the powers that we naively, I thought, the powers that be, you know, both economically and political are really going to work on, on lessening inequality, which to me is really, uh, in addition to climate change, really the, the biggest problems of the world. I mean, they go hand in hand. But in fact, it's been the opposite, you know. Um, the the uh, you know inequality has only exacerbated over the past decade and and i'm not sure we can turn the tide anymore i'm i'm you know i'm a positive person but it's but it's hard to be positive on that one two questions from rabbit hole first one your opinion on operation paperclip yeah i mean as i said earlier you know i mean it is is it, it is i mean it goes to show right as well as with the U.S.'s political expediency with regards to the Nazi war criminals that were led off or that were handed over back to West Germany for the so-called denazification trials, these kind of show trials. Same with Operation Paperclip, which is also a political expedient uh, decision in light of the Cold War, where it was like, you know, we're the new great world power, we're going to do everything to stay that and we're in everything to beat the Soviet Union and newfound arms race and it's just you know it's a, it's just such a brazen act of, of political expediency um that uh, yeah and especially now that you have schools in in the u.s named after warner von brown still today is is, is quite shocking what's your opinion of mengele's body being found in brazil i mean yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Boys of Brazil, but but it's uh, as far as I understand it, he uh, he drowned. Um, there's a lot of rumors going on around that, but but you know, 
um he 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 drowned and he was he was i think his his body was never actually found the, the, the theory is that he drowned in brazil and that was that um yeah i don't know much more two questions from dob how many nazis were hunted in argentina who <laughs> that's a good question um that's probably something that the 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 Israel the the Mossad would would know rather than me, but but you know we're probably talking about tens, if not hundreds. Seems like like a really big figure, but tens perhaps. And then the next one is: Did Hitler have the resources to get in a plane in Berlin in 1945 and fly away at 2 a.m. before the Russians invaded? No, no, he didn't. Uh, the last known person to to flee Berlin. Uh, on um, in late April uh, 1945, um, was an aviatrix called Lena Raj, who actually carried the, the goodbye letters that Eva Braun uh, and Joseph and, and Magda Goebbels that Eva Braun said wrote, but separately. And I have copies of those letters that are the goodbye letters that um, Magda and Joseph Goebbels wrote to Harold Quant, their um, their son, or in the case of Goebbels, his stepson, um, which he ended up receiving copies of those letters in, in his British prison of war camp in Benghazi two years later. So we're almost out of time. I've got a couple of questions off the top of my head then. So as the war progressed, did Hitler's relationship with these billionaire families become strained? Not so. I mean, I wouldn't say it's strained with Hitler directly. I mean, as when when the when the Battle of Stalingrad is lost in February 1943, and the tide of the turn, the 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 the, the tide of the war turns against Nazi Germany, is you see that banks start cutting off credit lines, or you know, industrialists furiously pushing to get more still more financing, more resources, uh, more bonds out. Um, but they, you know, they, the banks are cutting them off. And as a whole, the regime, you know, it's, I mean, it was, it, it began to really, or the German economy began to leak money. I mean, you had the entire economy was running on forced slave labor, right, at this point, because all the able-bodied men were at the front. And you know, the economy implodes over the course of two years, from early 1943 to early 1945. So, you know, what you see after the war, and that's also another stunning fact, of course, that the families I write about were wholesale expropriated in Soviet-occupied Eastern Germany, but the Allies gave them back all their assets, you know, which is which gives them kind of their, their base of wealth, it remains, or at least half of their wealth, it just it, it just gets returned to them, you know, on a silver platter, and said, "Here you go, you know, um, rebuild the German economy, um, you know, um, or rebuild the West German economy, and and with the with the, the so-called um, economic miracle of West Germany of the 1950s, you know, all all was long forgotten, and West Germany had become one of one of America's and one of Western Europe's uh, staunchest allies." So did Hitler not have to nationalize any of these industries, businesses? No, not none of the 
none of the families that I write about, he, he does, what happens is that the only industrialist, which was one of his first backers, a man called Fritz Thyssen of the Thyssen Group, uh, now of the Thyssen Group uh, company, I mean, the families are no longer involved, else I would have included them in the book, but, um, and the dynasties have died out. But, but at the time, the Thyssen steel empire was expropriated because Fritz Thyssen, who was one of Hitler's earliest backers in 1925, actually one of the exception uh, to all the other industrialists, actually ends up turning against the war or German invasion of Poland in 1939 and votes against it in this defunct um, um, parliament in the Reichstag. And uh, as a result, he has to flee and his entire steel empire is expropriated and actually put under trusteeship of the right-hand man of one of my main characters, Friedrich Flick, who ran the largest wow. steel conglomerate in the Third Reich. And he's the only one that that happened to? Well, yeah, I mean, it's such a strange story because he ends up, not only does he end up in a concentration camp, Fritz Thyssen, by, you know, but he also ends up being uh, sentenced by the, by, by the Allies to three years of, 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 um, of prison in in um after the war whereas all the men that just kept on profiting and 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 kept on you know and didn't turn against hitler also got off scot free by the allies with the exception of friedrich flick who was one of the three uh in main industrialists that were that were tried at the nuremberg industrialist trials the others being alfred krupp and the entire executive board of, of ig farben so from Libang, did Argentina accept them? Were the Argentinian officials in on it and got paid to add them to the population, or was it all secret? And why Argentina specifically? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I mean, I think they accepted them under the Videla regime, right? After Perón was overthrown, uh, you have, but even earlier, actually, if you if you look at the at the, um, um, you know, the kidnapping of Eichmann um, from Buenos Aires, who went under the name Ricardo Clement, who was working in a Daimler-Benz factory, no less. You know, I think the Argentinian government was aware that these that these that these high-ranking uh, former Nazi officials or former SS officials were living and working in their country, and they just, you know, they didn't they didn't mind. Uh, so I would say they were they were absolutely implicitly accepted, um, and and yeah, I mean that 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 is also boggles the mind. You know what was the incentive of, of Argentina to accept these uh, to accept these men? You know, or of any South American country for that matter? Because I've written five books about Pablo Escobar, and he described you know his early years of going down to Peru and Bolivia and through all these uh, South American countries. And he'd, he'd be going through these jungles and forests and he'd hear German songs getting sung, Nazi songs getting wow. sung. And he'd embark wow. upon these villages where all these Germans were, were just uh, camped out and, and living in. And, you know, these, these uh, they'd, they'd come over after World War Two. So I found that quite fascinating to hear it from his perspective as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's. That's really strange. Yeah, I mean, that, that must have been a surreal experience. So Anon is wondering about the role of the Swiss in this. The Swiss 
were then able to expand more through South Germany, the financial capital. What was the role of the Swiss bankers in all of this? I mean, what is known is that, you know, enormous amount of gold that was stolen from, from Jewish families and, and individuals was, was shipped by the Nazis to, to Swiss banks. There was a settlement in that regard that, that came about in the 1990s. You know, Swiss pretended to be neutral, but it was kind of this nest of spies, as well as from the Allied side, particularly the Americans, uh, as well as uh, Nazis. Um, you know, I think it really, Switzerland really consolidated its, its power as a financial capital during World War II as this kind of safe haven, both for Nazi, um, you know, uh, both for, for Nazi assets and, and Nazi stolen goods, uh, as well as others. People are asking about the role of Russia in this as well, and how, at the end of the war, you know, what what did Russia, what was their attitude towards these billionaires? Um, well, they, those that remained, those that weren't able to flee Eastern Germany in time, you know, those industrialists or financiers or, you know, whatever, whoever collaborated with the Nazis, they were, you know, they were executed on the spot um, and in a way it was the most efficient form of denazification was just was was uh, you know um, they, they disappeared to labor camps or they were never heard from or never heard or seen from again and there again you know all the assets that remained in in soviet occupied eastern germany were wholesale expropriated by um, you know by the soviet by the soviet authorities so Raymond is asking about the role of IG Farben. Yeah, I mean, the entire executive board of, of IG Farben was was indicted and sentenced in one of the industrialist trials at, at, at Nuremberg and the so-called succession trials at, at Nuremberg. The other two being Friedrich Flick and his associates, Friedrich Flick being one of the main characters in my book, um, and Alfred Krupp and his, uh, and his associates um, browned out the, the industrialist triumvirate. You know, Iger Farben, you know, most notoriously, of course, supplied, you know, first of all, at the time, it was the largest chemical and pharmaceutical conglomerate in the, in, in the world. And it's actually the only company that ended up being broken up after the war in three separate companies. One is BASF, which is still one of the largest, if not the largest chemical company in the world today. The second being Bayer, which is one of the largest, if not the largest pharmaceutical company in the day today and the third is uh man uh, which is a, a machinery and, and industrialist company and upon hurst was the one was the third one which is another which is a machinery and industrialist company which was later bought out and eager farben of course most famously uh produced uh, zyklon bay the, the the gas that was used to there was the gas that was used in a gas chamber in a joint venture together with the gusai Gold producer. This is my co-host Matthew Steeples. Hello, Matthew. Oh, good evening. Hello. <laughs> I don't Hi. know if you've been watching what we've been doing with David, but we're going to have I've a fascinating. Just, uh, I've only just returned to my home, so I, I haven't <laughs> missed out on David. I, I well, hello, David. Hello. Hi. I would love to know more about what you do, but I, I I've been out and about, so I'm. He's an expert on Nazi billionaires. He's written a book about them. 
Well, there's lots of evil people like that, yes. So, uh, <laughs> yes, so the Mercedes-Benz family, the Flicks. Flicks, like yeah. Your opinions on them? Yes, it's it's one of the main families in my book, actually. You know about Mick Flick? I do know about Mick and Flick. Muck. What do you want? And Muck, Muck, Muck and Muck. Muck was the only one to respond of the and Donatella. Sorry? Donatella, she's just sold her house to uh, uh, Lord Bath. Okay. Yeah, no, I in fact. Pardon, and did one in London. Yes, she just sold her house to um Lord Bath the new Lord Bath. Yes, so that was why she moving to? Died, in fact. Why is she moving to? Uh God knows, but she once uh, employed a friend of mine who was her secretary and she locked her in a cupboard. She she oh, didn't work wow. for her for very long. She's not a very nice lady, as Donatella. Okay. Wow. That's all I can yeah. tell you on that front. But anyway, I don't know much about your story, but I would love to know more. Yeah, I mean, uh, buy Nazi billionaires, and you can read all about Mick and Muck and their most most notably their grandfather Friedrich Flick. Who, you know. Okay. Well, I would look. I will. Uh, I will look it up. The only main character in my book who. Got sentenced um, at the, during the Nuremberg Industrialist trials. All the other ones got got off scot free. The ones that control BMW and, and Porsche and Volkswagen and other large global corporations. David, do you want to tell people where they can find your book and where they can find you online? Sure. Yeah, you can find a book anywhere. Really, um, you can find Nazi billionaires in any bookshop. Amazon, whatever, whatever your your outlet is that you order books, your local bookshop. You can find me at David De Jong on, on Twitter and Instagram. Well, huge thank you for spending time with us today and going over into overtime, David. I've learned so much. It's been fascinating. I'm endlessly obsessed with that World War II history. I've, you know, I've read a few books on it, and it is, you know, something we've got to learn lessons from, definitely. So we salute you for your work. Thank you very much for coming on. Pleasure, Sean. Mad. See you next time. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Hope to read more about your work.